world is Going with it, so uh, hopefully, Jack will arrive soon. He's just coming down the driveway in his uh, cart and horse. But welcome to the Fallout Podcast, episode 16, aka Proletarian Visions of Posterity. It's a fall clash of titans, all 525 songs going head to head. We now have confirmed that's how many there are for a conclusive conqueror gunfight. Chopped into four epochs, 77 to 85, 86 to 93, 94 to 2001, 2002 to 2017. That seems like a long time, doesn't it? But you know. Yes. With us tonight, we have to Mr. Pippington Beard, the Ace of Wands. How is your wand, Pip? It's uh, it's incredibly wandy. Probably the wandiest it's been for some time. Well, that's good to know. It does droop and uh, peak on its own whim. It's all of the devil's fire now. And Lord, Lord Sage Temple, him of the cups. How are the temples? Oh, the temples are throbbing. The Pemberton Walker. Are the hills still wet? Oh, yes, very much so. And inv- invisible peel, rest in peace. And me, the host, drink from my chalice, please. Here's a question for you. It's a, it's a trivia rather than your opinion. Let's see if any of you get it. So we're going to talk about WMC Blob at, at length tonight. That's off Grotesque, which is the first, like, skit or whatever you want to call it. But what was the first cover to appear on a Fall LP? I'll give you I'll give you a clue. It's later than you think. Victoria. Oh, that's a good guess. It's just before Victoria. It's a big one. It's one big... Mr. Pharmacist. Yes, well done. Oh, yeah. Is that the first one? All right, okay. Did they do any live, though? Early on, I know they did Louie Louie. Hmm. Other than that... Don't know. But then after that, the floodgates opened, right? So you got Victoria on the next album, and then from that point on, there was on many albums, two or three. (laughs) 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 So first first up, we've got a segment that we're going to call Futures and Pasts, probably. And last time round, we looked at Beefheart. But today, Alistair Interest in Aspinall has brought his fall influence or influenced to the table who have you brought al uh mr francis sidebottom all right let's have a listen to the three tracks Great so this next that. one, well, I'll go in a little bit about your white placement. There's parts on that that just get into like day in the life with the puppets doing the backing vocals, lots of ooh ah kind of with the siren going on in the background, where it's like proper like breaking down the song and then bringing it back into a nice little quiet bit. There's some really yeah. good technical writing on that with some very funny lyrics about uh, asking the time from a right placement and getting swatted in the head. It's satire, isn't it, Al? Satire. 
yeah, it's that kind of thing. So why did you bring, uh, why, why is Frank, what's the connection with the fall? The, the main connection, I think, if, it, if you're talking personnel-wise, would be Mark Riley. Uh, he played with the, his backing band, the Oblimey Big Band. He was either Billy or Barry Belly on the radio shows. He, he put out Frank's stuff on, on Intape Records as well, which was Riley's label. Both Frank and the fall were on the Sergeant Pepper Knew My Father, Beatles, Children in Need thing. You got covers as well where Frank did hit the north and uh how I wrote Elastic Man. So there's a bit of a connection there. This is the regional connection as well where the both from sort of like Manchester y kind of where I mean in the, the kind of era as well. They they were grown up around the same time, similar kind of backgrounds, you know, just it's grim up north. So there's there's definitely links there between Frank and the fall. Spencer, good evening. <laughs> How are you doing? Good afternoon. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. Apologies for the, uh, for the for the late entry, but Alistair will tell you that comes with my character. That's no problem. Sal, what's your what's going on next? All right, we're going for a cover, and it's a way he could just like take a song and completely deconstruct it, put it into his own little bloody world, and it was his own world. And it, well, he's mashing up two beef art songs here, and it's just it's like yeah, get in, brilliant. There's probably some banjo on it as well. Beefart cover I've ever heard. It's hard to cover Beefart and give it his stamp, and and obviously he covered Hit the North, and he did a bang up job of that, and he also had a go at how I wrote Elastic Man at some point. Ezra, what's your uh, take on Frank Sidebottom? Is he is he connected to the fall in your mind? Uh, it doesn't surprise me that you know it seems like a natural connection. Uh, growing up, you know, like I would see Frank on all kinds of TV shows and. I don't think the utterly overwhelming bizarreness of who he was or what he was doing really hit home because I was at the kind of young age where you just accept the stuff you see and you don't really think about it. And so, yeah, I always remembered kind of finding him amusing and whatever, but not really thinking about it that much. And then he dropped off the radar. Then the next thing I saw was that there was this film that was done about him, which I watched and was pretty offended by, especially as Mark Ronson, who played keyboards in his band, was the screenwriter for it. But it was basically kind of conflating the career of Captain Beefheart and Frank Sidebottom. And I'm like, you've got two incredibly interesting artists here who both of either of whom would arguably merit a, a, a feature film so why the fuck are you just smashing them both together and pissing over both their kind of um, careers it really upset me that film um and then, yeah it was um but yeah you know the stuff that i've been listening to this week is it's top notch top banana uh, yeah. Especially Hey You Riot Policeman, which I think is rapidly becoming one of my favourite pieces of political music. The Hey thing is is a 
a false staple as well, right? Definitely. My love for Frank goes way back, way before I even knew the fall. But uh, in my mind, there's a lot of strong connections. Shall we hear the third one? This one's Airplay, right, Al? Yeah, this one. We've got to listen to the lyrics because he's explaining exactly what he's doing in the song whilst he's doing it. <laughs> it's gone halfway through. That is very fresh. What I think it shows is his, like Smith, his instinct for decisions about making pop music. Now, obviously, he was a very good musician as well, but um, a lot of his lyrics and the way he presented himself was very instinctive, very similar to Smithy in a lot of ways. Spencer and Phil, what's your kind of take on Frank and it's maybe connections to the fall? Well, I agree with Alistair. There is, there is the link with Mark Riley to Intape, and I, I missed the, the introduction, so I don't know whether it was linked back to the Onk magazine that they were both heavily involved in the both Mark and Frank sort of roles. Um, in terms of the link creatively, I think you're right that there's an intuitive feeling for what's naturally good, however it's presented, as raw as it might be or as polished as it might be. And I've always thought that there was a lot of symbionts between the two, but two very different markets. And for me, Frank's always like the missing link between the fall and the Bonzo Duda band, because he, he absorbs that reality and presents it right back to it in a very working class way, very naturally. I've always enjoyed Frank's stuff, but I am acutely aware he's a bit of an acquired taste. But yeah, fantastic man and a, a, a sad loss. And if you are a, a fall fan who doesn't like Frank Sidebottom, you're probably not with us anymore because <laughs> we're about 10 minutes into this three-minute Frank <laughs> clip. We um, uh, There's a lot of love for Frank. We're going a bit long on this segment, but you know, it's our podcast. We do whatever the bloody hell we want. Phil, that what's your... <laughs> no, exactly. What's your take, Phil? So, yeah, a bit like Ezra, I was always aware of Frank Sidebottom, but never really got into his stuff until I started knocking around with Al. That was kind of my introduction to it. And then, obviously, some of the people who we knocked around with in Wigan doing music and that, it sort of, he, he does pop up. I remember him playing the Tudor with Statics Band. Just that anarchy, just that his was sense of anarchy, where everything where it's, it, it's like... It's a bit like Tommy Cooper and Les Dawson, isn't it? Where they're very good at what they do and then make it look shambolic, but are always completely in control of what they're doing. That that mixture of showman and and inspired artist, which is really addictive to watching, charismatic and that. That's that last song, that Airplay song is amazing. It's absolutely, it's a real genius piece of, uh, of music composition that is so clever. Stuart Lee gets name checked in here all the time, doesn't he? And it's like, it's doing that, that deconstruction as you're doing it for idea. So he's, he was absolutely brilliant uh, and very funny. Very, very funny. So about, about the live stuff, though, uh, you said it's like very kind of controlled anarchy. Um, he was always p- 
pissed off his fucking head when he did gigs. And he's got this bloody great big helmet on. He can't see what he's doing. So, like, the combination of the two was, was great. You used to know how drunk he was by the amount of times he knocked his keyboard over. A sad loss, indeed. Just an absolute But it's, absolute uh, it's still really funny. I've been showing it to my daughter. She's eight this week, and she's been loving it. Do you know what I mean? It, it's, it's not aged at all. It's still really funny. So. Well, I played it to my son, who's 16, Riot Police, when he loved it. And he never likes anything they ever play. <laughs> Let's move. Any last words on that, Al, before we move on? Oh, yeah, we didn't mention Little Mark e. Smith. They did have Little Mark e. Smith as well. Like, yeah. Personally. But yeah, loads of, the puppets were brilliant. And just like how he hated the puppets because they were more popular than him. And, you know, Little Denise was more popular than Little Frank, so her head mysteriously disappeared. There's just loads of weird little detail, but apparently it all started when he took acid for the first time when he was about 14. Right, well, there's lots more to dig into for sure, and I think that clip of him doing Hit the North where he's got David Soul from Starsky and Hutch and the guitarist from The Happy Mondays and a little Marky Smith, that's his band. <laughs> Just if, if you're listening to this and you haven't spent at least a month of your life <laughs> knee-deep in Frank Sidebottom, go and do it. Do yourself a favour. I want to ask, though, that clip, uh, that link to the uh, tape rip of an album. Is that album actually an hour and 58 minutes long? Yeah, yeah. It, it put out, he put out that, and then a week later he put out another one that was about, like, 90 minutes long. It's a double The bounce, wasn't it? Yeah. So, Spencer, nice to meet you. Um, I'm Brendan. We've got Phil and Ezra here as well, and you know Al, of course. So, every time we have a guest, I always ask them, like, what's the kind of history with the fall or, you know, what is the fall to them? So, what, what is that uh, glorious band to you? Well, a long-standing relationship with the fall from, from being 14. Um, that's around the time they were bringing Ben Sinister out and Mr. Pharmacist. So, a lot of the stuff in the music press. And as you are at that age, you're curious, you're looking for new sounds and new bands and discovering new music. So my first introduction, real introduction, was uh, for the older listeners, you might remember this, it was back in the day you could borrow tapes from your local library. So a cassette tape went in, they had Ben Sinister, thought, right, that's the one for me. Took it home, started playing it. A kind of epiphany moment that this is this is brilliant, this is dark and brooding and uh, uncomfortable and I'm not really liking some of it, but it's I can't kind of put it down. And what I found is, and this stayed with me with the fall throughout all the years, was that sometimes it was so impenetrable that that was the more curiosity. And, and I found that it was peppered. And he must, his mind must have worked on so many levels that not only were the snatches in the songs that maybe a small fragment on, on an LP cover or an insert, on a press release, on a T-shirt, something he was saying a fanzine, and only if you looked at all a little bit could you decode the song sometimes. So I found it like stimulating and kind of mysterious and it was an unusual journey. And for me, and I'll be honest, Brendan, the Room to Live album, the, the, the text on the front of that, and the way he, he always personalised it in, in a very individual kind of way. When he says on it, the true meaning of folk drops its thin veil. I think that's probably one of the most honest things he ever said about his old band because 
it was folk music in, 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 in the respect that it was by rank amateurs who he guided. And they, they wrote about Prestwich and Manchester and the things that normal folk saw, dressed in the fashions of the day, which looked odd as, as a, uh, the star that he was. And he was almost so straight, he was unusual. So I have a, a, a long and deep-rooted love of that man and that band's work. Beautiful. Yeah. And I, I like the way you said, if you read all the fragments, you can decode it sometimes. <laughs> it's like the sometimes some it, is important because sometimes you still can't. <laughs> some of it you can. Natchez is like, it's, it's like, um, like a holy grail. It's just little pieces dotted around everywhere. And occasionally it comes to light and think, oh, I never knew that. Yeah. And that's beautiful. And the, the, the stuff on the annotated fall, even though it's fantastic, you, there's still way more to dig into. And let's crack on with it then. So tonight we've got uh, WMC Blob 59 off Grotesque up against Marky Chacha off Room to Live. Then we go into White Line and off the Dredger EP uh, up against Crew Filth off Code Selfish. Then 15 Ways, which was a single in 93, up against Rain Master off Cerebral Caustic. And finally, Monocard off Ersatz GB 2011, up against Oi Zutrek Man off New Facts Emerge. Am I saying that right? Off New Facts Emerge 2017. So, Phil, if you don't mind, can you hit us with the entire song, WMC slash Blob 59? Don't cut a second. This episode is really testing the men from the boys, isn't it? Um, and, and for us, the added bonus while that song was playing, uh, Al's crotch was was entire, was was visible in front of the camera. There was a bubbling sound. I, I don't know what it was. Um, uh, Phil, you're up first. What do you make of WMC slash Blob Fifty Nine? Uh, well, I think it, I think it works on the album where it is and it, it serves a purpose on the album but as a standalone track like that I, I'm just kind of left scratching my head a little bit really it's, uh, it's um, there's, there's a liner note isn't there on the on the actual album itself that says this is a very funny track it's a pity you can't hear what's going on and uh, that kind of sums it up for me really it's just uh, it's a bit of fluff like that 
for my money. The other thing that it made me think is what's the what's the actual tune that they go into at the end, where it's the uh, it's almost like a brass band that the the woman along to, like an old yeah. spiritual hymn. It, it, I, was, I was wondering that myself. Um, I don't actually know what it is, but like the first thing it reminded me of was the old rugged cross. There's a country teasers tune, isn't there? Where it's a cover, but it's like an old yeah. cover that they do, and it reminds me of that. Yeah, these, these things will pass. pass yeah, something like that. But, but um, yeah, it's, it's not it's really do it for me as a standalone thing. But on the album, it's it's quite interesting. So, I mean, according to the annotated fall and everything else I've seen, it's an original. That's the Blob 59 part, I think. But it's definitely got a Salvation Army kind of uh, vibe to it, which is kind of why I, I like it. Spencer, what's your take on this one? I absolutely love it. I think it, it points to the original origins of the group. Uh, similar to the little live at the Witch Trials guitar readout segment on the prior on the first album. As I understand it, when the when the band formed, it was Smith on guitar and Martin Brammer as the vocals. And it, you had that kind of spidery technique that you hear on that track. And it was a poetry readout against, you know, some ambient sound and so on. And again, it's something that he peppered his entire catalogue with, either to punctuate points on albums, or sometimes he did two solo albums entirely full of the stuff. So with Blob 59, I absolutely love it. The Blob 59 part, I've actually got a live version of it where you can hear the lyrics, and it kind of says, if, you, if anyone's interested, it says, as to who started this in the first place, I cannot deny that it was I. Since I became Blob 59, I've spent a lot of time wondering who and what the hell was the crime. So that's what's sung, and apparently it's on an old plastic Beatles new beat guitar that Smith had. And that's why he used to write his original, when he said, I wrote the tune, he'd put that out at home and give a tape to the band and say, that's what I want you to play. Apparently underground medicine and things like that were wrote like that. And then whoever's on guitar at the time would, would learn it and play it. But apparently on that track, it's him on the guitar, I think it's him on the guitar, strumming the new beat guitar with Kay Carroll singing, the old manager. Nice. So I absolutely love it. I find those things kind of really enigmatic. They are, uh, again, a bit of an acquired tape, but I love the tape collage pieces. Fantastic. Very honest, very, very honest pieces of work. No, you're right, and that's why normally I would leave our friend who's not here, Peel, who sends his messages over the ether. I would go to him last, but I'm going to go to him now because... He usually doesn't like these things, but I think I've got a, an idea that he might he might be okay with this one. Uh, 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 let's see. He puts an inconsequential intro to Grand Friday. Nothing more. <laughs> mm. Entitled to his opinion. Elusive. Uh, Ezra, what do you make of this? Oh, I love anything that sounds like it was recorded in a shoe. And yeah, this is the first of many things that the fall did that sounded like they were recorded in shoes or sometimes boots, Wellingtons, etc. Yeah, and it's kind of interesting going back to what Spencer was saying earlier about the um, kind of folk connection. I was like, well, I guess this makes that makes this kind of folk concrete or something. Um, and it's got an interesting pairing because it's up against Maki Cha Cha. And both of them, in their kind of way, seem to be poking at socialism in one way or the other. Like, you've got the whole thing about, what is it, the working class reaching for a posterity, of all things. Whereas you would think that they would want prosperity. Yeah, all in all, it's a wonderful enigma of a piece of music. Sweet. Uh, divisive, isn't it? 
Oh. Again, with the tape thing, it reminds me a bit of, you know, like sort, of, sort of stuff that Faust were playing around with, with, with cassettes and just recording stuff. And that kind of crops up quite a bit on this this episode, really. I like it. Uh, it's not the kind of song that you'd play to somebody if you was trying to convert them into being a fall fan. Uh, <laughs> that sounds a bit weird, like it were a cult or something. But, you know, you're trying to go, oh, yeah, it's a really good band. You want, you want to listen to these, you know, it's like, uh, listen to WMC Blob, you know. <laughs> Yeah. But uh, those are my observations. No, it's got its charm. And um, a lot of these things work because they stand out. They're, they're one-offs almost. And that's the thing, right? The Fall's got so many of these. And tonight we've got quite a few like left turns. And uh, that's the thing. you got to take, take it all or nothing, really. So let's go to what it is up against, which is an absolute... Beast of a song, Marky Chacha or Marky Thatcher, as some might call it. Let's see. Marky Chacha. It's a go home for just another breath to not a bar. And then I send his clubs over to me. I'm as a job as a broadcaster. That's how I came to be. Marky Cha Cha. Good Lord. Spencer, you're up first, if you don't mind. Yeah, again, th- uh, this is off my favourite, well, the two favourite albums of mine, Room to Live and Dragnet. Both absolute favourites. Room to Live splits the audience down the middle. It's a stunning album as far as I'm concerned because, as I said earlier, partly the, the explanations on there, you write for everyone to see spoke, and it's very, very topical. Allegedly written about the, the Falklands War, there's an element or a hint, a nod towards Thatcherism. And apparently, I've only read this, uh, a, a nod towards Lord Hawhorn, propaganda broadcaster in the Second World War, who was, you know, clipped English accents, but was double agent for the um, for the Nazis. So apparently Mark Smith set himself up as a modern-day Lord Hawhorn, as Marquis Chacha. Got a bossa nova sort of salsa rhythm underneath it. Again, getting towards that Argentinian vibe. Off that album, I'd say it's probably one of my least favourite. Out of the singles, it's one of the stronger singles. But on that album, it's odd on the album. I I think it's a little, it's a disjointed album anyway. But I think that one is better than the album, if that makes sense. It it, it looks a bit odd. I I wouldn't put it on, but it's his band. He knows exactly what he's doing. What is the standout for you on uh, Room to Live then? Because it's it's been dismissed. I think Steve Hamley particularly has said, you know, it was rushed out after Hex induction hour and he doesn't feel it was given enough time. But um... I'd probably agree with all that. And, you know, apparently it took a lot of pressure off the band and it was, he didn't want to get too big and it was all the, you know, the self-depreciation and self-sabotage piece that he's known for. But I suppose my favourite uh, track on there is actually Room to Live. 
kind of almost center point of the album. Not many of the albums have a, a song on it that's the same title as the LP. And um, in particular, I like the lyrics to Room to Live. I think that hint, the entire album hinges around that and explains about why he's wrote it, how he's feeling, the pressures that it's all brought to him. But there's just several, Hard Life in the Country, fantastic again, topical, what's going on in Britain in 82. But I'm a sucker, me, because I also love Papal Visit. I love the atonal work that Mark Smith and the Paul do. I have a particular fondness for that, so I like WMC and I like Papal Visit and things like that. So for me, it's a lovely little blend of an album. I wish it was longer. I know it's underproduced. I know it's rushed. I know there are timing issues and stuff, but it, it's fantastic. It's such an honest document. Definitely. Ezra, what's your take on this cha-cha? It's such an interesting track. I mean, first of all, musically, it's fucking unbeatable. Um, it almost sounds like it, it could be described as proto-Manchester. Um, because it's got that kind of funk and shuffle to it. Um, and the great kind of reverb backing vocals. Of, he can never go home. It's such a treat to listen to. Lyrically, I mean, his whole kind of thing on the Falklands War, it's another one of those ones where I'm just reading it and I'm just like, Ugh. <laughs> I mean, it, it, was a, it was a difficult conflict, I suppose, because... You know, I, as far as I'm aware, the Falklands people were very happy living under English rule. So, and surely that was better than the alternative, but still. Um, but yeah, you know, like the cha-cha Thatcher thing. At first I was curious, I was thinking, could he be referring to Mark Thatcher? Because of course that's, you know, Mark Thatcher, Marky Cha-Cha, it's not too far away. And then the he can never go home part, I was thinking, well, yeah, I'm, pretty sure Mark Thatcher can never go home. And so, yeah, I wound up ascribing that to some more precog stuff anyways. But yeah, it's it's just a phenomenal track. Well, hopefully this podcast is not going to open up that can of worms uh, with your comments there, Ezra. But uh, yes, Mark Thatcher probably would be wise not to go home. Al? Um, yeah, the, the, the title, the uh, Marky Cha-Cha, Reminded me of the uh, Marky Desard comments that I made the other week that you kind of missed out on when they showed the uh, chocolate mousse advert just before you played a song and uh, I kind of said, man, Jay um, <laughs> but I thought it was a it kind of like piss take of a certain ratio or something like that when they started getting a bit funky. They started off quite good death disco kind of sound and then... I started dressing up in shorts and stuff like that, looking daft <laughs> and making really bad music. So it, it did remind me of that. Really quite like the bass, which is, again, it's the, the, the kind of the spine of the song. That's kind of what holds it together. But the intro riff's brilliant. I love that. Drums going mad uh, with, the, with the crazy whistling, uh, which reminded me of, well, I like I, I do like whistling in songs. Um, and we, we mentioned Ronnie Reynold in the in the bunker this week, but that was about yodeling, but it was, it was a great whistling as well. I'd recommend The Happy Whistler if you'd like to hear a good whistling song by, uh, by Ronnie. Uh, but yeah, great song. Nice. There's whistling in at least two tracks tonight, maybe three, if your definition of whistling is as wide as is mine. Galloping, funky bass, freaky, squeaky guitar. Everyone in that band is on top form, I think. 
I was saying this to Phil in the week that the, the kind of samba rhythms only ever being used on this track is a they should have used it a lot more. I, I obviously it fits in with the theme of the lyrics, but that's a bit on the nose for me. But Burns and um, was was Hanley, but Burns and Hanley both on this, or, or had Hanley gone at this point? Yeah, Steve Hanley's definitely on it. I mean, uh, Paul Hanley on drums, have they still got two drummers on there? Yeah, there's two drummers, but I think recording this album I've read, he didn't always have everyone in the studio. For me, him and Carl Burns did the majority of the recording, but how true that is, hard to say. Yeah, I don't know, but I mean, they're, they're beautiful, and uh, yeah, I wish they'd explored that a little bit more in some of the other stuff. I'm going to bank on this one going through and not go too far into the lyrics, because that is a whole... That, that could be hours there. So, Phil, what are you? Um, what do you think? Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And I'm not going to go too far into the lyrics as well, but I, I do think the pun of Lord Ha Ha and Marquis Cha Cha is absolutely brilliant. I think it's just a signal of how lyrically intelligent he is when he's when he's putting these things together. Uh, we, yeah, we were talking about the music earlier on, weren't we? And my, my reference for it was ESG, which when I, I read that Mark Fisher quote a while ago about how the back in the um, late seventies, early eighties, it was like there was a dial going on between what was happening in that post-punk scene and what was happening in the sort of black dance scene in in, the, in America and it wasn't it wasn't like copying each other it was kind of having a conversation where everyone was bringing something to the table and I, I think that's what they do with this track they play around with those dancey ideas and do something of their own with it I think it's absolutely brilliant it's a, it's a really really good piece of music and it's a great performance but I do totally pick up on that certain ratio kind of vibe and it, i've just got that tony wilson quote where around my head about jazz being the last refuge of the talentless in the uh, 24 hour party people movie when he's watching a certain ratio do the jazz thing yeah yeah um but yeah it's a great it's a great track this isn't it? it's one of the best problems football and beer much superior gringo gets cheap servant staff low tax maybe a dusky wife uh, i'm tempted but i won't say anymore um, let's get Peel's opinion, then take a vote. So he says, groovy and delicious, scrappy and messed up, prime rib fall. That bass line is to die for. All hail the Hanleys for the rhythm supreme duo that they are. I love the way Mark really screams on this one. Gives me goosebumps. Yes, yes, yes. So I am going for cha-cha. Phil? Marky, cha-cha. Spencer? Right, I've got to do the old fashionable thing, and it's very, very personal. It's a hard one for me at this point. It's WMC for me. Noted. Fine. Absolutely. you got to go with the, go with the heart. Ezra? Uh, it, it gives me great pain to say that I'm going to go with Marky Chacha. I feel like the blob is a historical document of great import, and we've given it short shrift. But we also buried Berry and flooded Iceland, so... C'est la vie, innit? You know? Al? I buy Glob, it's cha-cha-cha. Okay, so cha-cha-cha goes through. And uh, let's move on to White Lightning off the Dredgery P, 1991. Call out a white lightning, GMLTMM Rebel New 2. 
Splendid, splendid. Ezra, does this do it for you? Uh, first off, this is a cover, right? Correct. Big bopper. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, well, basically it does. It's the kind of track which I would probably really, really get my teeth into live on the disco dance floor. As a kind of home-based listen, I would say it's a fairly perfunctory rocker from the fall. You know, it, it, it kind of ticks all the boxes. It's very nice. It's very good. But it doesn't particularly elevate itself that high. You know, it's, it's all well and good. It's nothing special. It's a fairly faithful cover. The original is pretty rocking. Uh, Smith gets the words right, you know. he does. A, there's a performance where he's on Jonathan Ross's show from years back and um, and uh, he's got lyrics in front of him and he's really studying them hard and there's this honky-tonk piano, which is probably why he decided when he went on Jules Holland that uh, they had that contract <laughs> where Holland wasn't allowed to play with him. I know that was true, but uh, Al, this is one of your favourites, right? Oh, not really. Uh, Let me start again. Al, you're not really, you're not really a big fan of this, are you? No, I really love this one, Brendan. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's one that we did with the, the Idiot family. Well, so Phil and Spencer and myself and uh, Mr. Gordon Chapman, uh, well, got asked to do something for Record Shop there, just like a pop-up band type thing. And uh, being a bit of a Fall fan, they didn't want to do Fall covers because I just thought that would be wank. So I thought we'd do uh, songs that the Fall covered. So we got together, didn't have any rehearsal as a full band before we did it. And it was a, it was, it was a good laugh. But it's, it's a fairly standard song, dead easy to play. It's a lot of fun, but it's, it's not outstandingly good. It's, it's, it's good. There was a rumour going around that you got the uh, actor from the Human Centipede 2 to do the lyrics when you were singing. Where we did get the uh, yeah Lawrence from Human Centipede 2. You know, so if, if anybody doesn't know Human Centipede 2, um, it's, a, it's a cracking kids film it's one for all the family um, so I'd recommend it but yeah it, it's, it's okay it's okay and uh, yeah Lawrence did the singing for us Wigan's greatest actor with Wigan's greatest drummer Oh what was the rest of the set list? Oh I can't remember Did we do Victoria Phil? No I don't think we did that uh... Ghost in, no. in my house, we did. Pharmacist, um, Mr. Pharmacist. Mr. Pharmacist, we did, yeah. yeah. Uh, I think we did Louie Louie as well. <laughs> no funnel of love? No, no, Fred, no. Didn't do I'm a no, mummy What does JP think of this, Phil? Just having uh, a look on the old psychic rice paper. Boring pub rock you could square dance to. Fucking rubbish. He's not a fan of covers generally. I like the nice chugging guitar, and Smith's definitely passionate about it. And I like that turn of phrase. They were looking, trying to book him, but my papa kept a cooking. But yeah, it's it is a pretty perfunctory kind of cover. Phil, what's uh, what's what's uh, let me try again. Don't know what's going on here, Phil. Phil, do you like this song? <laughs> <laughs> I've got to be in the mood for the Ramones. Do you know what I mean? It's like yeah. I don't normally put Ramones on and, and uh, have, have a listen to them. It, it's, it, to me, it's just a bit too Ramonesy. This I listen to the original, and the original kind of just chugs along for me as well. It's like I'm not I'm not not massive fan of Big Bopper. I, I do get the whole Elvis sneer and Eddie Cochran sort of breaks on it all and, and that kind of thing. But a bit too bit too much of a straight bat being played here I think for it to have uh, to be anything other than uh, by the numbers rocker for my money yeah Spencer what about you not one of the better covers it's it fits in with his his like you know the old rock and roll truck songs that sort of stuff 50s rock and roll you can see one of his particular favourites which is I'm guessing how he picked the covers not, not one of my particular favourites 
as you say, it's a fully faithful rendition. It's not much difference, even down to the last shout at the end. Compared to the original, it's not wildly different. It's just marginally faster and marginally louder. When I was watching him live at the time, and I remember it coming out, it was a big deal. There was white lightning shirts everywhere. There was crowd going bonkers to it. Not one of my favourites, I'll be honest. Yeah, we talked about Eagle Dick Piggledy. That's a rocking one. In your opinion, Spencer, what opinion? What's the best cover? Probably Lost in Music, yeah, because it's so not what you'd expect. Disco tune, they do it. Well, they did a fairly, fairly storming version of a song I don't particularly like. We talked about it a few weeks ago. It didn't get a lot of love, sadly, on the show. I would have fought for it. Yeah, it's not a song I like, but it was a cover version of a reimagination of that song by that band. I think it was successful, but... Just not something you'd expect them to cover. It's like yeah. they're doing rap in the summer, isn't it, by Boney M? You know, what's going on here? I think we said that at the time. It would have been it would have been good to see him do a Boney M or a, a Donna Summer or something like that. Jumpman's good as well, that's nice too. Yeah, yeah. So let's have a look at Crew Filth then. You don't have a skit for weeks and then two come along at once. What had tattoos on his legs? What had brown spectacles on his head? Motherfuckers! True! Phil! Kufil! Hey, can you tell us about Kufil? Thought you were going to play the whole thing then. Alistair, grey filth. This was about people who uh, live in crew and they don't have a bath. I, all of them, I've heard. All of them, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Dirty buggers, filth, filth. Yeah, I, I find it amusing, you know. It's, it, it, it's sticking out something like this on an LP. And this was like one of the ones they had a bit of budget for, wasn't it? And a bit of distribution. So it's like, okay, yeah, let's, let's cut off our nose again. Yeah, it seemed like they're having a lot of fun. And yeah, the keys remind me of it's like a sampler from a, a, a Casio or something like that. Uh, you know, it's like Nintendo sound, isn't it? You know, but it seemed like they just I pissed off. That, I, put, I put Nintendo, I put Zelda soundtrack. Yeah, it's nice. Zelda love, isn't it? Yeah. Um, 8 bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's 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 a lot of fun. It's it's not one that uh, you know you, you put on if you was DJing, but um, well, unless you really want. But yeah, <laughs> but yeah, it is what it is. It's it's a, a funny little piece of, of of art, I suppose. It's sort of weird because we got insult song, then noise, and now this three weeks in a row, and they're all essentially taking the piss out of the band or the crew wherever this gang is but this is the weakest of the three for me in terms of insult song and noise genuinely made me laugh uh, his turn of phrase and his, his roast and this seemed a little bit like uh, he hadn't quite got it together yet it's rare for him to swear on records he says motherfuckers several times i don't know if he, sw- he swears all the time in his interviews every other word but on record I don't think he swears that often. And I think he does the Indian voice again at some point. But again, it's so hard to tell because he's so bad at voices. <laughs> it's not very clear whether or not he's actually being racist. Not a lot to it. I think the backing track is actually just the demo off the keyboard. But he makes it work. But also he doesn't make it work. <laughs> doesn't work at all. That's right. Yeah, I, 
I wouldn't describe this track as great, but it has its perverse charms. Some of the things that I like about it is it's got a comparatively hi-fi intro, and then it goes into what sounds like something that was recorded in a fucking shoe again. With the backing sound of what sounds like a warp tape playing Indian classical music, and then we go on to synthesize a demo track. It's got something, you know, like for a long time now, I've been wanting to do a DJ set of entirely full music and listening to it, I was thinking, yeah, actually, you know, maybe if I was going to do it, I would DJ this one just to see what happened like halfway through. But yeah, you know, I mean, after after the blob got shot down, I feel um, contractually bound to um, vote this one through. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. We're all in the edge of our seats here, Ezra. <laughs> Phil Rigby? There's, there's bits that are interesting about this. That first minute of something else completely. It sounds like it could have been a, another song. But I think there's some documentary value to this. Do you know what I mean? It's like it's a bit of an insight. It's like a camera in the studio kind of thing, isn't it? And there's bits of that that I quite like. Like Smith's bloody-mindedness to try and keep something going. Like, there might be something here. It's kind of to keep on going, keep on going. When he starts clapping on it, it's it's like, you know, trying to build some momentum, doing what he does, what we were about the other week, actually, about him trying to throw some energy into, into what they're doing. So it doesn't quite work. None of it actually quite works. But And I quite like the metaphor of him being some kind of cat pirate captain and uh, the band being like a, a crew of bandits that he's sort of dragging along with him. It's that, that seems quite a fitting metaphor, really, for the fall, doesn't it? Uh, sailing away in the wrong direction on, on choppy seas. But as a whole, it's, yeah, I, I've listened to it more times than I've occurred to this week, really, this track. And that's about as much value as I can get out of it. Um, you may have to listen to it several more times for if the voting goes the way I think it's going to. Spencer, what do you make of uh, Crew Filth? Although I have a, a natural liking for these kinds of tracks, I think this is one of the weaker ones, musically and lyrically. And you know, it, it's pretty fast sort of improvised piece, apparently recorded in the back of a moving van. Not a particular favourite of mine. I've listened to a lot of these kinds of, you know, the, 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 the tapey kind of weird tracks on acid extensively over the years. Am I right like to say that? Absolutely. Most of us are tripping right now. Yeah, including. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually sound checking. That's why I had to disappear. Okay. I'm sound check. Yeah, so this isn't one of the ones that works very well on acid either. So. No, it's not a particular favourite. <laughs> we'll keep experimenting. We haven't tried them all yet, so... Um, <laughs> all right, well, let's uh, let's see what Peely thinks, and uh, I can't imagine this is going to be pleasant. Well, I think. The cost of Peel is jangled his chains and spoken. Dodgy demos from keyboards, bad dance music, feels ripping off a decent track we've already heard before. Mumbling waste of time for the rest. Yeah, see, it's like album filler, isn't it? It's like a, we're missing a track off the album. Bang that on it. Five minutes out. Yeah. It. It's, okay. it's like the way they're all laughing on it. They're obviously half cut when they're doing it. And it's, it's you think, oh, I don't know. I remember that thing we recorded in the van. Let's stick that on. That would be a laugh. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right, well, let's take a vote then. So it is a fairly dodgy cover-up against a fairly dodgy skit. Al, are you putting through? Oh, uh, I... If it comes down to a cover or an original fall piece, it's the original fall piece. And Ezra, you've already told us that you're putting Curry Phil through. Phil? Can we not bore for the moat at the same time? 
That's what's happening doing that. It's only the rules. Listen, be Frank Bottom and our kick about listen, it. Listen, Phil. It's only the rules that keep that they're keeping the wolves from the door. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I've got to go along with Al then, haven't I? It's uh, it's an original versus a cover. I've got to go for the original. Maybe. Fair enough, uh, Spencer. As much as I dislike Crew Phil, it's got to be Crew Phil because I've listened both on acid, and Crew Phil knocks it. Gets it on acid, it's more than high lightning. Fair enough, and I'm going off on crew filth as well. So, Peel's uh, opinion is not uh, going to sway anything, but what does he say? Just more both things. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. So, sadly, crew filth goes through, and we have to listen to it another 10 15 times next time it pops up. So, moving on yeah. to the um, 1993 single, uh, it was on the extended version of the infotainment scam. Uh, 15 ways. Adam, could you get us a stalking wet beer tape? And then just, I'll put it under the drum and drop it. So this is one of the first like songs I heard contemporarily once I first got into the fall. So it was a, it was about this era when I was I first started listening to the new new stuff. So that kind of it's got a bit of a place in my heart. But uh, that era, it's very hit and miss. I do like the way once you get beyond the Paul Simon kind of uh, obviously homage or piss take, the way that his his lyrics are very condescending, like magazine speak kind of that he takes to the extreme when he does the Doctor Buck's letter, where he literally just reads. So Pete, Pete Tong's <laughs> like wish list or whatever it is. But this is very similar for me. He's like lampooning that condescending tone of there must be eight ways to leave your man. I, I like the fact he keeps reducing the number as well and changing it. And um, and I like the way he delivers the line. You've got to be jihadid. That's a unique uh, Smith vocal. And the video. I like that Carl and Funky Cy are going head to head under that bridge. That's a cool video. And Hanley's dragging his uh, amp around. Obviously, Craig Scanlon did not want, was not uh, up for any shenanigans. He just appears in the back for about three seconds. Uh, all in all, you know, not bad. I like it. A decent pop tune. Not sure if it's enough, but it's uh, it's got its charms. Phil, what do you reckon? Yeah, when I was listening to it, it, it just started coming up with lists of words. Again, it's like perky and boppy and jangly, isn't it? And all, all those kinds of things. It's quite a nice pop tune. I, I, I liked it when I first heard it, and I like it at exactly the same amount on about the 15th time of listening to it. It's sort of like, it doesn't get any better, it doesn't get any worse. It's, it's just... All right, it's quite a nice joke. It's sort of uh, the pre-cog, post-cog thing is like all of those YouTube videos, isn't it, that starts off with five, five active ways of doing something with squirrels or something. Every uh, every kind of framing of article that's done like that, he's he's kind of beaten to the punch there, hasn't he? But yeah, it's, it's quite a nice joke. Yeah, the listicle. 
he's uh, he predates it and it's clear that that it, it irks him to read that kind of stuff he finds it at the amusingly condescending tone yeah he's, he nails it i think um spencer what do you reckon to this one i'd kind of agree it's a catchy tune it's when they were trying to become and break and become more popular in the 90s as they did in the 80s they, they dipped a bit and i think they got when they got dave bush in and, and the sound expanded and became a bit more accessible and started off a bit techno dancing and moved slowly into pop again truthfully this isn't one of my particular favorites it, it's a reasonably good song it's catchy it's a bit bit lightweight for my personal taste even for the fall and i i, I believe i read somewhere so like a, there's a nod to bob dylan in there I heard that one. Ways to leave your woman, or something like. Well, there's Paul, Sim- Paul Simon song called Fifty Ways to Leave Your Lover." That's it. Then yeah, that'll be it. Was... I think there's something about that. I don't know. If there's any reference to that in the lyrics. And as you said, the lyrics are inconsistent and, and ever changing, which is much the, the way of him and the fall, isn't it? But you know, it, it's a good tune. It's truthfully, until I saw the video, I didn't realise there were two drummers on it. They play more or less the same thing, right? It's the. <laughs> So you yeah. watch them doing the break at Bed Dead and they're just playing the same things. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that in itself is fantastic because if they manage to do that in the studio, they're both perfectly playing in time with each other. Fantastic, but not sure if that's, uh, if that's what's on the tune. Yeah, not, not yeah. a great use of two drummers. The story around that era is that Sam Wilson Croft became the drummer and then I think Smith invited Carl Burns on a tour and each subsequent date, he managed to get another piece of the drum kit. So he started off with like a hi-hat. And by the way, 10 dates in, he had a full kit. No one knew where he got it from. So the, the, then they had two drummers. Yeah, Burns, he's, a, he's a absolutely... For me, he's, yeah, he's, an, he's one of the uh, unsung heroes of the fall stuff. Brilliant drummer. Absolutely mesmerising drummer. I've only seen him live a handful of times in the a two drummer lineup, astonishingly good musician. Yeah. yeah, really, you're right. He's very, very underrated. And I think just coming back to the tune, it's on an inconsistent. It's an inconsistent tune on an inconsistent album. It is an album of transition where I, I think the fall had maybe perhaps lost a bit of its identity, and it wasn't sure where it was sitting. But music at the time equally was in the same state. I think. Yeah, that that early '90s stuff. It was everyone was looking over to Nirvana and all this stuff that was going on in America as well, right? So English music was flowing a little bit. Ezra, what do you make of this? Yeah, lyrically it uh, predicts the uh, the rise of the listicle and some clickbait. Musically it's totally insipid and does nothing for me whatsoever. Noted. There's some whistling in it though. Oh yeah, I will say I like whistling. <laughs> Alistair, what do you think? I'll agree with, uh, with Ezra about the insipid part. Uh, it is, I just found it boring really. Uh, and even the whistling's nowhere near as good as cha-cha. There's some nice giggling on it, though. I did like that. That was a, a nice little touch for a, a different sort of smithy sound. But, yeah, that's all I've got to say, isn't it? Even the whistling's not as good as it used to be. Oh, wait, was it? Was it? Come on. It was <laughs> uh, unfortunately, though, it only gets worse from here on in with the next song. So, um, uh, You want me to play all of this? I, I want to know what Peel thinks of um, 15 Ways. All of Rainbow's. 15 Ways. He says, Mez channels Paul Simon and gets no more interesting in the attempt. Bad indie rock, totally uninspired. So you said I was being harsh this week, Phil. I, I've, been, I've been kind to these tracks so far. Not, uh, not with this one, though. He's got some sand in his vagina there, hasn't he? 
Are we ready? We are. Listen, no one said it was going to be easy being a fall fan. Rainmaker, good lord. Master. Rain, rain man, fill you up. Raymond, I don't know what your problem is with this tune. I think it's great. I think that it's that. I was listening actually to uh, the original Pebbles album the other day, uh, which is, I, I think, is probably one of the catalysts in where the fall kind of came up with their sound, isn't it? That garage rock thing from the late 60s and the thing that I noticed when I was listening to all the records is all of the intros are amazing they put so much thought into how they construct the intro and kind of the screams of when the drum comes in and how the bass and the guitar kind of mangle each other and I think this is this that's what this song's got going for it it's all the same elements you've heard before but it's just got a really good touch as to how they piece them all together even the little daft sampling noises that he chucks on and all that kind of thing I think the the riff the country teasers got mentioned earlier on probably by me, but this really reminds me of that that style of production around how they they get the guitar sound and stuff sounds very very similar. I really really like this one, um, and I think Rainmaster is another one of those things that you can shout out while it's drunk, uh, and it and it sounds great. And uh, I really like the bonkers lyrics of it all as well. So I I, I like this. I think this is, this is a decent fortune. Fair enough, you know, each to their own. Spencer, what do you reckon to this? I'm mixed on this like I am with 15 Ways, really. Neither are particular favourites of mine. I suppose on the balance of all things considered, I'd go with Rainmaster. I think it's a, I think it's a stronger tune. I think it's it's less poppy. I don't profess to understand what I don't. It might even be nonsense. Who can say? I, I don't know. And again, off cerebral caustic, kind of un, uh, again an unusual album that was getting back into a more fall like writing. Bricks is back in the band. I think it's got Bricks written all over it. I don't know if she's a co-author. I suspect she is. I think it's a bit grungier. It's a bit meatier. I I much prefer that to Fifteen Ways. Fair enough, Ezra. What do you make of this one? Yeah, I think it's I think it's good. Most of the tracks I've heard so far of Cerebral Caustic, they do seem to be riding the coattails of the whole grunge thing that was a cursor of lights once too often in the ridiculous muggy envelope stained going, you sorry, fuck, TV man, all hail, Rainmaster in Belgique, Rainmaster in Basingstoke's Hortophone traffic, Maurice assistant crap in Hermitage, Rainmaster in New York, Rainmaster over cool green layered forest interspersed with hammers banging in hot morning, fellas tapping slow motion silenced Rainmaster in his benediction, smug in the task and knowledge, which I think is great. It's great as fucking poetry. <laughs> <laughs> you just read the entire song. 
No, the entire second half. Yeah. It's very good, though. I wrote down most of those uh, in a ridiculous muggy envelope. Yeah, it's nice. Lyrically, uh, that's the bit I do like about this song. Musically, I'm not, I'm not a fan. Although I, don't, I like that squeak in the background. <laughs> and that's the only thing I'll take from that. There's some nice noises mixed in towards the end. I think the, there is a mix in there that could have uh, brought out some more stuff I, I kind of liked. You know, Steve, who came on, was it last week, suggested that maybe Scanlon was on his way out and maybe he phoned in some of the stuff on this album. I don't know, but he's definitely not around too much on these tracks. He's very bricksy, as you, as you say. For better or worse, you have a lot of Love for bricks and her stuff, but for me, this isn't uh, one a, a strong one. What does Paley think? Well, I'd, before I read that, I just made me think it's like Popeye, isn't it? That noise in the background. And the, I, 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 I. Paley says the best bit is the TV man's tarantula bit at the beginning. The rest is kind of fun, and the funkish guitar is nice and all. I like the bit that sounds like a tape recording of some drums being messed about with. I don't mind this one, even if it is a bit slight and flimsy. Nice. I'll, have you asked you? Yeah, I've not. Have I? No, no. Uh, it reminds me a bit of well, the guitar riff. Uh, there's a song on Extra Cut, that one, that's uh, Give me, give me, give me, it's slowly, baby. And then it goes into... It just reminded me like that on loop. It's all right. You know, it's like got a solid kind of disco-y type beat to it, uh, but it gets a bit metronomic to say me. Yeah, it's, it's okay. Fair enough. Let's take a vote. So, uh, Spencer, you suggested that you're going to go with Rainmaster. Is that right? Yeah, that's right, Brendan. Fair enough. Alan. Ezra? Rainmaster for me, Brendan. Right on. Philip? Rainmaster. Alistair? Rainmaster. 15 ways it is. Thank you. It's a good song. <laughs> Poppy? I like it. Well done. So, moving on. A little tune we like to call Monocard from Razat's GB. I was wondering whether you were waiting for him to come in. I was thinking you might be here a while if you. That intro's awesome. Oh, what do you make of uh, Monocard? Um, well, I think it's okay. Um, you know, very Sabbath. Um, it goes into the Tommy Cooper bit occasionally. Uh, quite like the, the drums with it, with the synth noise stuff. It's another short one, isn't it? Um, it's okay. It's functional. It's more Cooper than I owe me, unfortunately. Yeah, for me. Phil, go on. You, you've been singing the praise of this song all week. Now, have you been I, taking I the piss? Or? <laughs> you have. I mean, it's not diminished my love for this track at all. I think it's brilliant. I, I was listening, I listened to it a couple of times and it kind of washed it over me. And then I, I think it was the um, the Zelda from Terra Hawks voice that, uh, that put me off at first with it. And then I was listening to it and the Karen did that whole thing about if I was listening to 
a different band and this is what came on, what would I make of it? And and just really started getting into it then. I, I love the feedbacky, keyboardy, um theremin type kind of feedback noise that's got they've got going over the top of it. I think the doomy thing they do just right. This isn't they don't do metal very much. The last track we had, in fact, the only other track on that I, I think is metally that they did was Greenware, which is off this album as well, isn't it? Which I, I think is awful. It's an awful track. But this, they just get everything right. I'm really impressed that he knows what to do with metal and can pull something off with it. And then I got into the lyrics as well, the whole apocalyptic. I was saying to you, it reminded me of Nyla Thorntep, the, uh, the Lovecraft prose poem. I think all the, the end of the world, dark future kind of stuff, everything's going on to one chip credit card, something like that. Um, and then the last lines in the song, I just really made me laugh because it's um, the Sats Apprentice, I think is a, is a fab lyric to have. And the fact that the worst thing in this apocalyptic vision is that you could become the follower of something that's obviously fake and has no integrity. I think that's pure Marky Smith, isn't it? So, yeah, I've totally fallen in love with this track. I think it's brilliant. Yeah, if nothing else, he's stayed on message for 40 years. Yeah, Ezra? Well, on the strength of today, I think me and Phil should probably start a band because I love it too. (laughs) (laughs) And it's sorted. It sounds too much like Electric Wizard or something, you know. Yeah, yeah, it does, yeah. And, you know, I like all that kind of doom-laden metal stuff. I don't like I don't like the kind of cheerful metal of, like, your Iron Maidens or your Judas Priests. I just like that really slow, horrible stuff. Sludge. With lots of bass. As, as Phil was saying, the lyrics are great. I love the give-me-grasp-of-monocard is it bread or is it yeast? Will it give me benefit? I'm paraphrasing because I can't read my own writing. Will it give me benefit or peril? Looking on the annotated fall, apparently it's a kind of a reference to a drug that's used to treat angina. So I'm left asking myself, was angina one of the many um, maladies <laughs> that Marky Smith was dealing with in his later life? It's just fantastic and his performance is really... <laughs> hilarious to me you know it's got the perfect blend of super dark humor and um overt humor (laughs) (laughs) and uh we already know from the dedication not medication he may have been offered bedwet pills at some point so of the angina medicine as well spencer what do you reckon to this one this late period gem Fantastic tune. It's a stunning return to form for me. Again, it's on an album that got a bit of a drubbing. That album splits the audience down the middle. It's unusual. I like the drumming. I know it's got the double kick drum from uh, Kieran on it. Not a lot of people like that. Him and the bass player from an heavy metal background, he clearly comes through. It's a much heavier, solid rock sort of format that he migrated into for the last decade. It kind of meanders and it reminds me of Cam. It's not as busy as Cam, but the sparseness and, and, and the psychedelic elements that are in it remind me of Cam and those sorts of outfits. And I, I know again the growl when he started using the growl, and I, I think, I don't know this, but I think it's related to his illnesses. He had numerous health issues at the time, and it, which the growl seemed to coincide with them. I think they all make a very dark, brooding sound. And for me, I, I don't know this is true. Again, it, it seems to indicate struggles of a man of his age with technology and, and living 
at the current time and what's meant to be easier is actually harder for someone of a certain generation. I always get that kind of claustrophobic, paranoid feel out of it. I like the mix on the drums as well because the drums, to me, sound a little dry. You know, there's a little bit, a bit of a dry production on them. You know, particularly the kick and drums in particular. I kind of quite like that, where it, it's got a natural sort of not too produced. But again, that's one of the things that splits the audience, isn't it? That it's impenetrably produced, like Dragnet. Yeah, this is a this is one that. that often gets uh, slated this album a little bit but i came around to this song a lot i think early on i was a bit disappointed because i like the drums i like the sabbathy bass but the guitars kind of seem really low in the mix and, and i i felt like it was a missed opportunity and that intro of nearly three minutes before smith's comes in I'm, i don't know if i needed that long <laughs> <laughs> but you know, once you get into it. But yeah, I liked it. a lot of the lyrics. I walk into the village, fate infected trenches of Hounslow. This is one of the ones where I was saying earlier uh, what you said, Spencer, about if you get all the little parts, you can fit them together. Sometimes this is the sometimes for me. I don't know. I can't quite put it together into a cohesive uh, kind of story. But uh, it, it's it's really nice. It's grown on me a lot. Yeah. What does Peel think, Phil? I like the Sabbath vibes and the filter sweeps on the feedbacky noise, and I think the vocals are top-notch. Feels kind of southern rock when it gets going. <clears throat> I'd have loved to hear this one through some sun amp, self-destructing at immense volumes. This is good, and I think they spent some more time working on the sound suitable for it. It could have been a classic. Mark's grumbly voice gives me a great deal of pleasure when he shouts, Felicitations! Yeah, I'm with him on that. I think it would the there was a mix in there that could have blown the roof off, but still, it's decent. All right, let's listen to the last one. One of Oi's Trekman off uh, New Facts Emerge. I think this is the first song we've come across off uh, New Facts Emerge. That's it. first heard this i thought it was a half decent dinosaur junior knockoff that mark smith ruined now i think it's a decent dinosaur junior ripoff that mark smith makes better <laughs> scratchy noise and the, those guitars in the background you got the very unusual to have that amount of lead guitar going on in a fall track i'm not sure what he was thinking might have been pub while they recorded this one but um decent track charm burbled singing no idea what is going on about it uh it's only it's only mark smith that could ruin it and also make it better at the same time it's uh that <laughs> it's just that magical touch <laughs> Phil, what do you reckon? 
Yeah, I wasn't quite sure what to make of this the first time I heard it. In fact, first couple of times that I heard it. And then, I don't know, something just really started growing on me about it. It's dead bouncy as a, as a track. It's got a real, to my ear, it's got a real sense of Jordi B about it. It's it's really kind of poppy and jumpy. And I, I, I quite like the idea of being drunk in a club and jumping up and down to it. It's uh, I quite like it. I can't quite put my finger on what, what it is that's good about it because it's... it's impenetrable what he's thinking about just gruffing down the microphone and um and when he's not gruffing down the microphone he's probably the weakest bit in the song when it's it's just the music kind of carrying it along but generally i think it's it's quite good sweet spencer again good track this impenetrable as you say i think this is a modern day wmc it sounds to me like they've done it on a cassette and mastered it from a cassette. The lyrics sound like he's done them on a tape and not in a studio. I think it's a collage. And, you know, personally, I love that when that happens. I think they best did it on Berish when they, you could see the track develop through the segments that they, they led in from a rough tape to a polished version. I think that worked stunningly well. This sounds like somewhere in the middle of it. Of it. It's not embryonic. It's not fully formed. And it's all the better for it because sometimes when, when things become so refined, they lose that, that quality. It, it, and I know you guys, will, you'll all understand what I'm saying. Right? That can happen. And obviously he's halted it at that point and said that's the version. To me, that, that's the essence I was after and that's what I want. Equally, I think he was very ill at the time and there might have been a forced issue that you haven't got time to do a vocal, use that cassette. But in general, I love Curio. It's challenging to listen, but it does have that bouncy keyboard that pushes it along somehow, which is kind of like, uh, it's a bit of a juxtaposition because it's all muddy and, and tape and, and dull and muted. And then you've got that bouncy keyboard. Usual little song, but I kind of love it. And, then, and again, one of those crazy enigmatic titles, what the hell is he on about? What does it mean? So I love it. going to have a struggle here, Brendan, between that and Monocard. I think so. I think of the four, this is going to be the hardest one for many of us. We've been a bit hard on a couple of the later period tracks recently for being a bit too polite and um, well produced, especially the Imperial Wax Solvent album with the Latchkey Kid and Wolf Kid Man. It's uh, it's good garagey rock, but a, a bit polite. I think this one, I agree with you, it kind of hits the right level. Ezra? What do you reckon? If this podcast was about best full title to a song, I think Oz Trickman would be a pretty strong contender. But having said that, yeah, musically, it's also pretty nice. It's got that nice kind of luminous, bulbous kind of organ sound that's like skating overhead and like just a, a garage churn going on. I think it's all about the famous golf player, George Best. Yes, I tell you, the amount of holes in one he got... Uh, Al, what do you reckon? Yeah, I completely see the the dinosaur junior thing, very kind of uh, Jermascus and uh, I knew you Lee would. Al. I knew you would. I kept pushing Phil all week, and he wouldn't he wouldn't admit it. Oh, I would even say that you know you can hear a bit of like Sebado or even some like you know Sea Monsters sort of wedding present in there. I, I, Spen was going on about the uh, the, the vocal, the, the quality. I, you got like that kind of rough sound to it. I do like that, and it's, it's just a dead sort of pop, uh, competent pop song. Yeah, I, I really like that one. It was a, a bit of a surprise because I didn't know it. But I'd say this one and the uh, mono car, the, the both songs that sound like a, it's a different band. It, it doesn't, it, they don't sound like sort of fall songs, typical fall songs. They sound like somebody else has done them, um, heavily influenced by other sounds. So I'm uh, guessing that's that's. 
Yeah, I think so. And that's what I thought, Sabbath, Dinosaur Jr. It's a little bit of that kind of sound alike thing. And that's, um, but we know those lads towards the end, they could do all that stuff, right? So I think in the context of the album, it makes a bit more sense, but uh, absolutely. So let's get Peel's take on it, and then we'll take a vote. Peel's take on us a drawer. Poppy Punk Riff with some mumble rap. All gone bad. Throw away. I'm one of the worst on an album I re-listened to this week a few times and found myself enjoying a lot. Monocard wins. Finished watching all of True Detective. Was excellent and I don't think the first series was any better than the worst on the first two. I really enjoyed the first season but I didn't didn't watch any anymore so I'll give that a watch. (laughs) Nice. Mm. It's fun. What's um? Where are you going, Ezra, with these two? I've got to go for Monocard. Phil. <laughs> Fair enough, Spencer. That's intense, isn't it? Intense. Like the X Factor. How? <laughs> what do you reckon? I'm gonna to have to go for Ostrich Man. Nice. Fair enough. I'm gonna go for the Trick Man as well, but only because back. he's back. back. Good. Or is he? It's gone again. Backstage somewhere, isn't he? With Peely, Ezra, Phil, all going for uh, monocard. Me and Al going for Zutrick. It's going to come down to Spen. It is going. Uh, really... me. We're going to have to. We're going to have to leave it to be a TBC, um, and we're going to have to call it this. So cliffhanger freeze for him. Mm. Going yeah. through tonight is Marky Chachia, Crew Filth, Rainmaster, and to be confirmed. Ooh. Thanks, everyone. It's a long one, but technical difficulties aside, we, sh- we shall plow on. Hope you all have a good week. Thanks, chaps. Thank you very much. See you soon. Kindly. Good luck and prosper. Nani, nani. Clean shape.